Let me ask you a question as we start today. Where do you do your banking? Navy Fed? Yeah. <laughs> or Central Credit Union, that's where some of us are. Central Credit Union, right? Synovus Regions. Everyone banks somewhere. Everyone banks their life on something. Everyone invests their life in something. You are banking on some things. You are investing in some things with your life. Some people bank their entire life on their next promotion. You know, they think, if I can just get that promotion, things will be cool. You know, if I can just get there, all the rest of my life is going to be okay. Some parents are banking on their children because life didn't turn out the way the parents wanted for themselves. So they say, I'm going to invest everything in my children because they're going to have it better uh, than, than I did. Some people are banking on wealth or fame or, or success. <clears throat> Every spare minute of their life is invested in how do I make the next dollar? How do I close the next deal? How do I accomplish the next goal? Many people act as if this life is all there is, and so uh, they bank on having fun. That's just what life uh, is about, uh, just enjoying the, the, uh, their hobbies, enjoying everything, all their toys. Uh, I'm going to feather my nest and forget the rest, and that's all that I care about. I'm here to enjoy life. Now, there are two problems with banking on things that are temporary. The first one is simply this. They're temporary. <laughs> you know, they don't last. Uh, everything on this earth is here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, you may think, of, well, I've got this lined out. This is going to be good for years to come, and boom. It is gone. It changes on you the next day. And the, uh, that's the second thing that, that's bad, you know, about things that are temporary. And you can lose them just like that. That's why Jesus recommended that you bank with a bank that never goes out of business and where you can never go bankrupt. He suggests that you invest in the light of eternity, that you store up treasure in heaven uh, where, you know, there's no chance of bankruptcy. There's no identity theft. It's not based on some government that may or may not be in business or may change the rules uh, on you. Inflation is not an issue. You're not going to die and leave this to somebody else who's just going to waste it. Anyway, all that stuff that you sacrificed for. Here's what Jesus said. We're going to start here this morning. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, Jesus didn't mean you couldn't have a bank account, by the way. He didn't mean you couldn't save uh, for the future, but don't bank your life on what you put in the bank here, right? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, those of us that grew up with the King James uh, translation, it says where moths and rust corrupt. And that word vermin being just something that eats at things. So it could be vermin, it could be rust, it could be a lot of things. We know this stuff is temporary, right? Verse 20, <clears throat> but here's what you're supposed to do. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For verse 21 says, where your treasure is, that there your heart will be also. If your treasure's on this earth, your heart's here. If your treasure's in heaven, your heart is with the Lord. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, don't store up treasure for yourself. 
It says, don't store up treasure for yourself where? On earth, right? Uh, just don't make this the focus of all of your life. Uh, so you ask yourself, okay, if I'm not going to invest my time and my energy and my life and my wealth and my reputation and all those things here on this earth where it can be destroyed or depreciated or depleted, what does that leave? And the answer is that leaves you banking in the bank of eternity. But how do I do that? You know, I, I know how to bank here. I know how to make my deposits and make my withdrawals and, and take care of things online. But how do I bank in heaven? We've all heard, you know, uh, you can't take it with you. You've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. We all know that, that whatever uh, is left, when you leave this planet, you leave it behind for somebody else. But here's the good news. You can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can start storing up treasures in heaven while you're here on this earth. How do you do that? Let's think about this statement right here. You send your treasure on ahead into eternity when you invest in people who are going there. That's what you do. You send your treasure onto heaven ahead of you when you invest in people here who are going there. When you bless people on earth, you build up treasure in heaven. And Andy Stanley, you know, has a little saying about your money. You got, need to be knowing where your money's going. We'll just add to that and we'll say you need to be given while you're living and then you'll be knowing where it's going. It'll be in heaven when you get there. Today we conclude this, this uh, series we started at the beginning of the month called Hashtag Blessed. And the theme has been God doesn't bless you just so you can feel good. He blesses you so that you can help other people. He blesses you, you bless other people, they bless you back again. It's a whole lot better than everybody just getting everything they can for themselves and being selfish. And today, my subject, final subject in this, uh, this series is the best investment of your life. Uh, the way you can invest your money and your, and your time and everything else the best way. And we're going to look at three ways I can bless others and store up treasures in heaven. And, and the first one just starts with caring. I have to care about those who are suffering. I have to care about people that uh, maybe aren't as fortunate, don't have things as well as I have them right now. Jesus told a story to illustrate this, illustrate this truth. It's listed for us in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 12, which begins like this. Then Jesus said to his host, he's at a dinner party, right? <clears throat> he said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you'll be repaid. If, uh, if you just invite people over to impress them and they invite you back over again because they want to impress you, then you got all you're going to get out of that. Verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And verse 14 says, you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So you want to send it on ahead. This is the way you do. You don't do things to try to impress people. You do things to help people. Now, Jesus didn't say you can never invite your friends and family over for dinner. You can invite me anytime you want. All right, all right, uh, we'll come over and enjoy your food. Jesus was dealing with people who sought to impress the wealthy in order to build themselves up. And the point here is that we, when we help those who are in need, the, and God will reward us in eternity, God has a heart 
for people with needs, with special needs, and he expects us to have the same kind of heart. God is particularly interested in the innocent and the vulnerable. And by the way, many people present themselves as innocent and or vulnerable, and they are not. And so for that reason, we have to be diligent with our generosity. God expects us to be generous, but he also expects us to be smart in our generosity. Throughout scripture, God gets very specific about five different kinds groups of, of people he protects and wants us to care about. Let's look at those. The first group is this, the hungry and the homeless poor. God wants us to care about people that don't have enough food to eat and homeless people who ha don't have a place to live. In Isaiah chapter 58, the, the Israelite people are saying to God, uh, God, we're fasting and we're praying and we're doing all this kind of stuff. Why aren't you responding to us? Why aren't you giving us? Why aren't you talking to us? And he tells them what he wants them to do. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse seven, he says this, is it not to share your food with the hungry? Isn't this what you're supposed to be doing rather than fasting and, you know, and, and doing all these religious things? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, the homeless poor person with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, your own family. Don't, you know, don't, don't turn your back on your family. Now, I do not recommend that you go out Find the first homeless person you can on the street and invite them to live at your house. Uh, that's a pretty dangerous thing to do in our society. We're, we're in a completely different society now. It isn't safe. Nor do I think you should uh, just give out cash uh, to strangers on the street. But there is plenty that you can do. From a personal perspective, God puts people in your life all the time that you could do more for than you do. But... You don't want to get involved, but it's going to be inconvenient and messy, and it's going to be more inconvenient and messy than you think uh, it's going to be. Uh, but we can personally do some stuff. Each one of us can, you know, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And then we support agencies that help people like Waterfront Rescue Mission and, and Man of Food Pantry and uh, Embrace Grace. Uh, ministries that need help with these kinds of things. So the hungry and the homeless poor. Here's the second group, orphans and widows. You know, orphans and widows especially had a hard time in Jesus's day and in the Old Testament, but it's still tough to be an orphan and a widow. If you don't have a family that supports you, it's, it's, it's tough. In the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus James chapter one, verse 27 said, this is what real religion is all about. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows. These are innocent, helpless people to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. True religion, really worshiping God, involves taking care of innocent and helpless people. You're not worshiping God if you're not doing some of that. Here's the third group, prisoners. So we're talking about, we got hungry and homeless poor, we got orphans and widows, and prisoners. Uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse three, we're not quite sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, by the way, 
But uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, 3, continue to remember those in prison. Jesus said he'd come to set the captives free, right? The prisoners free when he read from the book of Isaiah. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. Think about it as though you're there in jail with them and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, this verse seems to be speaking about people who are imprisoned for Christ's sake. But I think beyond that, uh, we have to think about prisoners in general. There are millions of people, men and women, in the United States of America who are in prison. We have in the past supported uh, a guy by the name of Mike Kelly, who, had a, who is in the prison ministry, Rock of Ages prison ministry that he was involved in. And Mike was a perfect guy to go in and take the gospel uh, to men and women in prison. But we have to think about the fact that a, a large chunk of the population of the United States is captive in prison. Most of them where they need to be, I'm sure. Number four, immigrants. So we got hungry and homeless, poor, orphans and widows, prisoners and immigrants. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, God says to the Israelites, and you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. The word foreigner comes from a Hebrew word that means guest. You are guests. And there are others who are your guests. And by extension, it means sojourner or immigrant or foreigner. God is watching how we treat people of a different culture, different customs, different languages from a different country. And by the way, I have to say this because of our political climate. This is not a commentary on illegal aliens and criminality. Uh, every person, regardless of who they are, uh, deserves a, uh, a degree of respect. And laws have to be upheld. This is not about that. This is about you and me respecting people who are different from us uh, and treating them the way they should be treated. Number five, and by the way, in particular, in the Old Testament, these people needed extra help. Number five, the sick and the injured. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34 and verse two, God says, son of man, Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them. The shepherds of Israel were the leaders. That would be, uh, in, if we were using an English word, it would be pastors. Uh, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel and say this. And he said a lot of different things, but in the fourth verse, he said this. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You need to be taking care of these people. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. We must take care of people with serious illnesses and serious injuries. And we have people all over our country today that, uh, that are suffering and we just try not to acknowledge the fact that they are there because it's so hard to deal with. The first step, think about this, the first step to building treasure in heaven is to become aware of the needs around you. You wanna build up treasure in heaven. God says you do that by caring about other people. It's not about memorizing the books of the Bible and memorizing all kinds of passages of scripture uh, and, and, and things of that nature and, and, and be, uh, knowing all the fine points of theology. That's all good stuff. 
But God says the first step to building treasure in heaven is to care about other people. The truth is, uh, most of us live our lives with blinders on, you know, and that, that's not a phrase that I know much about, but I know they used to put blinders on horses like that to keep them from looking one way or the other. We've learned to avert our eyes from the homeless. We've learned to ignore the millions of orphans. We, we've we've, we've uh, learned to act like we owe prisoners nothing because they're guilty and they need to be where they are. And I think we need to ask ourselves this question, is there anything in my schedule that is totally unselfish? Is there anything about what I do during the week that is totally unselfish, just not because I get paid for it, not because I'm gonna get something out of it, but just because God has told me to help people. We should all learn to care about those who cannot help us in any way. So, I must care about those who suffer. Number two, I must dare to do something. I must dare to make a difference. Uh, it, it doesn't make any difference if I care, if I don't do anything about what I say I care about. I have to do it. If I see somebody in need, I have to do something about it. I have to put feet to my feelings. I have to put action to my attitude. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, the apostle John wrote this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, words are cheap. Action is what counts. Love is action. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was even more blunt or blunter. Uh, in James chapter 2 and verse 15, he says this, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. Suppose there's, there's somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, and they don't have the basic needs of life. Verse 16, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical, physical needs, what good is it? What we would do is, I'll, I'll be praying with you about that, brother. Let me lay a hand on you and put a little oil on you or something of that nature. But they're still hungry and they still don't have any place to live. But does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's like faith without works. Verse 17 says in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Uh, <clears throat> I tell you what I've done sometimes before. I've seen a need. I really don't have time to mess with this right now. Here's $20. <laughs> you know, make myself feel okay. You got, you got 20 bucks. Uh, now I can go off and act like I've done what I should have done. I don't think there's much difference than saying be warmed and be filled and I'm praying for you. Everybody is looking for two things in their life. First, everyone wants their life to have significance. We all like to feel like our life matters, that we're not just here, but we make a difference uh, in this life. And secondly, everyone wants satisfaction. We want fulfillment. Significance and satisfaction <clears throat> do not come from selfishness. Significance and satisfaction don't come from doing things for ourselves and accumulating things for ourselves. You don't get significance from your salary or your status because there's always another step and there's always somebody that makes more money than you do and is more important than you are and they will help you feel unimportant if you need a little bit of help. Think about this. Significance and satisfaction in life come from 
service. And service means helping others. So significance and satisfaction in this life comes from helping other people. That's what it comes, not from getting stuff for myself, not in being able to look good, not in being able to uh, live in the biggest house. I'm not against big houses, by the way. Don't, don't get me wrong about that. Live the biggest house you can uh, afford to live in. But significance does not come from that. Significance comes from helping others. Jesus said this, Mark records it in his gospel, chapter 8, verse 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You try to just make everything about you, you lose everything. You make everything about him, you gain everything. <clears throat> By the way, there's always plenty of excuses of why I can't do this right now. I use them too. Uh, I'm going to get to that someday. You know, I realize that's, a, that's, a, that's the way you're supposed to live. I know that. And, and I, I, really, I, I believe that it's the right thing to do. One of these days I'm going to do that. After I get married, you know, I feel like that would be a, a time I could do that. Or after I get out of school or after we have kids or after our kids are grown or after we reach, achieve a certain level of financial independence, then, then we'll be able to do something for other people. Notice what the wise man said. He was in a conversation or uh, a statement he was making about how you have to take some chances. If you want to accomplish anything in life, if you want to do anything good in life, he's saying you, you got to take some chances. And he makes this statement, book of Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon, in chapter 11, verse 4. He says about farmers, whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, uh, if a farmer waits for the perfect condition to come along, he'll never plant anything, he'll never have a harvest. The Living Bible paraphrases that. This is not a translation, this is a paraphrasing in the Living Bible, which says if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. And that's just a fact. If you wait for everything to be right before you do the right thing, you're never going to do the right thing. Everything that gets done in this world is done by imperfect people in an imperfect way and with imperfect results. Nothing is ever perfect. It can't be. Do you think everything went right uh, last Sunday evening when uh, Cassie launched Embrace Grace? You think it was all just neat and sweet and everybody did what they were supposed to and they left just blessed and blessed? Well, it was good, uh, but it wasn't perfect. The only perfect lives and the only perfect jobs, the only perfect families, the only perfect relationships, the only perfect ministries are on Facebook. They don't exist in real life. It doesn't have to be perfect for God to bless it. You don't have to be spiritually mature to do something for God and for other people. You don't have to have money to do things for God and for other people. You don't have to be educated to do things. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have kids or you can't have kids. None of those things matter because imperfect people doing imperfect things in an imperfect way accomplish what God wants us to do on this earth. The first step to building treasure in heaven is caring, caring about messy situations and people. The second step to building treasure in heaven is Daring to do something about it, uh, even if you're not sure what's going to happen. And there's one more thing. Get to the sharing part. I must share whatever I have. <clears throat> First, you share your heart. 
you care, right? Then you start sharing your time and your talent. Then you share your stuff, your treasure, your resources. You don't just write a check or give out a $20 bill or something and say, well, I've done my duty. That's not enough. That's kind of the, the last step that you go through. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a younger pastor named Timothy, and in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, he said this to Timothy, command those who are rich, are those people that you're pastoring. And by the way, we've talked about this, we're all rich. Everybody in this room is in the top 8% of people in the world as far as wealth is concerned. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Don't be arrogant. Don't think you're better than somebody because you got more stuff. No, you're not better than anybody else just because you have more stuff. Maybe you're blessed in a way that other people aren't. You're not even more blessed because God uses us in all different kinds of ways. Just be thankful for it. But here, let's second half that verse. Here's what you encourage people to do. Command them, encourage them to put their hope in God. Not their wealth, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. If you enjoy anything, God gave it to you. And verse 18, think about this. How are we going to build up treasure in heaven? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasure. All right, that, it, could there be anything plainer than that? All right, command them, uh, put their hope in God, do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. What triggers God's blessings in our life? Caring and then daring to do something and sharing what we have. I share my heart, that's caring. I share my schedule, my abilities, that's daring. And then I share my resources. I'm blessed so that I can bless other people. And as I bless, bless other people, God blesses me more. And it's not just so I can have stuff, it's so that I can be more of a blessing to others. And I challenge you, stop banking in the wrong bank. And I'm not talking about Central Credit Union or Navy Fed right, or Synovus or, or any other bank. <clears throat> Start storing up treasure in heaven. You're going to spend a lot more time there than you'll be spending here. Eternity there, you know, and we, we worry about, as you get a little bit older, you start worrying about, am I going to have enough money to make it to the end of my life? When you're younger, Am I going to have enough money to make it to the end of the week <laughs> before the week is, uh, is over with? <clears throat> but in eternity, eternity is forever. So be more concerned about what you're investing in there than what you're investing in here. Now, yes, yes, you, you invest here. Not saying don't do that. It's just saying this is what life is all about, not about retiring. It's about heaven. <clears throat> Let me read you something Jesus said. And we're going to go, this will be the last passage of Scripture, Matthew 25, 34. <clears throat> Jesus was talking about judgment day here, by the way. And he said in verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, now this is those who belong to him, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, let me just stop here and say, we know why people go to heaven. 
They don't go to heaven because they do good works. They go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for them and because they called on his name, because they trusted in him. That's what scripture says over and over and over again. We get rewarded because of the good things that we do. So Jesus said, the king said this, inherit the kingdom. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Verse 36, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When do we do that? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Verse 38, when? When, Lord? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needy? Needing clothes and clothe you. Verse 39, when? When, Lord? Did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, verse 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. How do I serve God? I serve the people he loves. That's how I love. For God so loved who? The world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, if you're honest, you know, you heard, read that scripture together, you said, wow, that's hard. That's really hard. In fact, it's not only hard, it's impossible for me at my stage in life. It's too much to ask. You, you know, I felt that way. Have you ever felt that way? I know you have. I want to say something to you that you're never going to do this that Christ commands you to do. You're never going to do this consistently on your own. You need help. You need people with skin on around you, encouraging you and comforting you. We must help each other do this. And we must hold each other accountable to do this. That's why Todd mentioned this. That's why we're talking about the next couple of weeks as we prepare for Connect Sunday. We're talking about being part of a group that meets together and studies the Bible together and, and, and encourages each other and shares our lives with each other. There's a word in the Greek New Testament. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I might do it someday in the next couple of weeks, but the word is, is the word koinonia, and people have been in church for a long time know that. It means contact, intimacy, fellowship. It refers to share or participation that we have with each other. It speaks of commonness and connection and community and commitment of doing life together. In Scripture, when the Apostle Paul talked about the Lord's Supper as communion, that's what it was. It's, that's our connection, our joint participation with God. But what, the way we connect with each other is a major part of Scripture. Koinonia means being as committed to one another as we are to Christ. That's something we're losing. I'm not going to say we lost it, but we're losing in church today. That's something that people like Raymond and Velma C. have lived for the past 40, 
what was it, 56 years uh, here. And like so many people of their era, their commitment to Christ, so intertwined with their commitment to his church, that it's inseparable. It's different, but it's inseparable. When I say his church, I'm talking about the local body of believers to whom they are connected. Because you can be related to the family of God around the world, living and dead. But you cannot be connected to the family of God around the world in the way that we're talking about here. In this working together to serve Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about next week and the week after that. And that's what we want to do. Not just talk about it, but we want to do it together. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us, and I thank you for that. And all these, these things I talked about today, we can't do that stuff. That's too hard. That's beyond our means, beyond our ability. We've got to live. We can do it with each other as we submit ourselves to you. Please, grant us your grace to do that. Help us not just quit and say, well, I'm too young, I'm too old, I don't have enough resources, I'm too busy. Help us to just do what you want us to do and trust you to bless us in it. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.